would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I have a confession to make this morning. I like to think that this church is a safe place, a time that I can bring my sins before you and confess something to you today. So I'm going to confess it to you today, but I want to, I want to go ahead and tell you, don't, don't judge me after I tell you, okay? This week, um, on Tuesdays, I have class in Laurel, and so I drive down in the morning. I have an 8, 8.30 class. It goes to about 11. Then I have a lunch break from 11, and then my next class starts at 1. So from 11 to 1, I'm usually... Uh, usually what I do is this. I put in my phone, I open my Chick-fil-A app, and I, let me tell you, this is just futuristic. And I put in my order, and I press, I'll pick it up in the drive-thru. I come to the drive-thru, they say, how may I help you? And I say, I got a mobile order. They say, all right, Mr. Reed, drive around, it'll be at the window. I don't have to give them nothing. They just, I drive around, they hand me my sandwich. Oh, it's amazing. It's, it's beautiful. And then on top of that, with the app, you get points. Now, I'm not saying this because they're paying me, but I feel really good about it. Every time I go through it, just about every Tuesday, about 11 o'clock, you can find me going through the drive-thru of the Chick-fil-A in Laurel, Mississippi. But this Tuesday, something different happened. I got out a little bit early from class. I had some basketball players in my class. They, they were taking a trip up to Blue Mountain to play Blue Mountain in basketball, and so they had to leave my class early, and that was most of my class, and so we ended the class a little bit early. And so I told Jordan, I said, I'm not sure what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I want to eat a little bit healthier than I've been eating. I've been eating a, a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. And though they are good, they aren't the healthiest things out there. So I'm thinking about getting something a little healthier. And she said, you know, there's some Chinese places there. And you could just get some rice and, and whatnot. And that'd be pretty healthy, rice and some good chicken. And I thought, that does sound pretty good. That sounds pretty good. And as I'm driving through Laurel, what? the Popeye's chicken sandwich. <laughs> And I'm a sucker for new. I, if it's new, I got to try it. And so I got in the Popeye's line. And right away, I should have known something was wrong. Because uh, there was a man unloading a big truck that was blocking the way. And I had to drive all the way around and kind of go backwards. And then you turn back into the line. So automatically, there was some pit stop. You know when you're sinning, God's going to send you some signs that say this isn't what you ought to be doing. But that's what happened. And so I, I got in line. I got up to order. And there was no Mr. Reed welcome back. When I got to Popeye, their, their little window, they, they said through the box, they said, what can I get you? And I said, well, can I, do y'all still have the chicken sandwiches? Yes. Okay, can I get a number eight then? The classic? Yes, ma'am. What do you want to drink? A tea with that? Yeah. Okay. Pull around. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Right? I felt like I was being chastised a little bit for wanting the sandwich and... And so when I go to Chick-fil-A, I put my order, I always get the large tea, and it ends up being $7.77. I'm not joking with you. That's my price at Chick-fil-A. You know what my price was at Popeye's? It was not perfect. It was something different. It was a little bit less than that. But, so I get up to the window. They hand me my Chick-fil-A, or my, my, uh, my, 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 you know, my co-Chick-fil-A, not, not the real Chick-fil-A, the pseudo Chick-fil-A sandwich, the new Popeye's chicken sandwich, and I got it out, and I was excited to try it. And I started eating this Chick-fil-A sandwich but it wasn't a Chick-fil-A sandwich. And I took a bite and I thought, this isn't bad. But the more I ate, the more I thought, this just isn't right. This isn't Chick-fil-A. There's something wrong about this. And I thought, I have sinned. 
I have sinned. Now, why am I telling you about my Popeye's chicken and sandwich experience? Well, you know, sometimes you and I can be like that. We'll indulge in something. We'll figure out that we're hungry uh, spiritually, and we'll indulge in something. Hopefully, that can satisfy the hunger. And yet, after we've gone through the process of seeking something that doesn't fill, we find out exactly what we knew from the beginning. It doesn't fill. It doesn't fill spiritually. And spiritually, we're still hungry. And it was more work to do what didn't fill than we know what would fill. And here we find a similar story. As we look at John 6, we've been talking about hunger. We've been talking that hunger is not a bad thing per se. Hunger is a natural feeling that's going to push you to eat. Starving is what's bad. Hunger is good. Starving is bad. And we discussed last week that many of us are famished because we're eating food that does not satisfy. So what do you do when you realize that the food that you're eating does not satisfy? What do you do? Well, I've always heard that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. And many of us, we insanely seek after the same food that does not satisfy, and we wonder why we're so hungry. Well, here in John chapter 6, beginning in verse 35 all the way down to verse 40, we see that Jesus, speaking to the crowd, tears off all the misconceptions, and he lets them know exactly what he's talking about. Jesus tells the crowd, just point blank, he reveals to the crowd that he alone satisfies spiritual hunger. There is no one else, no one else who can satisfy it. Jesus shows that he is the perfect Messiah who meets all the needs of his people. All the needs. And so today, as we begin reading in John 6, 35 through 40, I hope that as we read, that you are able to see and to confess that Jesus alone can satisfy and save. <clears throat> we actually, let's pick up in verse 34. John 6, verse 34. The people respond to Jesus and they say to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now let's refresh your memory just a little bit. What bread are they talking about? Well, Jesus has just told them that if they come to him, they will receive the bread that does not perish. And they say, give us it always. That's the bread we want. And so Jesus tells them in verse 35 this. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up. On the last day, the word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we consider this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Father, we pray this morning as we consider your word. Help us to see your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Help us to see him as the only one who satisfies. And Father, it does no good just to see that truth if we are not willing to change our life to feast on Jesus alone. And so we pray that you'd give us a hunger for Jesus that drives us to him that we may feast on the bread of life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a song <clears throat> that uh, is coming up in the Christmas season. It's one of my favorite spiritual songs uh, for Christmas, and it's uh, Jesus, What a Wonderful Child. And it became my favorite one day because it was around this time. Uh, uh, it was actually probably a few weeks when you start seeing the bell ringers at the stores, the Salvation Army bell ringers. And some of these bell ringers, boy, they have such joy and they put everything they can into it. And that was the case one day. I believe we were in Jackson and we were going into the store and there was a lady out there ringing her bell and she was just singing, Jesus, what a wonderful child. And she was, I mean, she was singing and it was great just hearing her sing this song, uh, this idea of Jesus, the wonderful child, the wonderful savior. And that's the cry of every believer that Jesus isn't just good enough, but that Jesus is wonderful, beautiful. I feel like often in our churches, we have tried our best to convince people that hell is an awful place and they don't want to go there. That's true. Don't get me wrong. That's true. But we are telling people that they must be saved from hell. But we forget to tell them that what true salvation is, is not just get out of hell free, but it's falling in love with the creator of the universe who made them and molded them in his image and who came upon this earth, put on human flesh and died and rose again. Christianity is seeing the beauty and the worth of Jesus and orienting our life around that. Jesus is a wonderful Messiah. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. Jesus alone is unique in the way that he saves and satisfies. And we see that here in John chapter 6. The first thing that we see about Jesus, the first unique, uh, unique characteristic of Jesus is that Jesus alone satisfies hunger and quenches thirst. Jesus alone does this. The people respond, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus responds by telling them what this true bread from heaven is. The true manna from heaven, the one that does not perish, but last for all eternity. He tells them in 35, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. If you know anything about John's gospel, you know that there are seven I am statements in there. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am uh, the, the living water. These I am statements point to the divinity of Jesus, that he is God, fully God. And here what Jesus is doing is he is connecting himself to the I am of the Old Testament. He is Jehovah. He is Yahweh. And not only that, but he tells us exactly what he plans to do. I am the bread of life. The bread that once eaten and consumed gives life eternal. This is Jesus. And he tells us, whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me and feasts at my table, he will never hunger. And whoever comes to me and drinks from my well and believes in me shall never thirst. 
What Jesus is telling the people is that he alone can satisfy every craving. Every spiritual craving that we seek to fill with fame and fortune, that we seek to to fill with all of the devices of the world, all the spiritual things that we can search after, Jesus uniquely satisfies every need of ours. You and I as human beings, we have needs. We are spiritual creatures. We were made to worship. And we were made to find transcendence in this world. And so we worship anything we can. We find transcendence, something beyond ourselves, in food and drink. And what Jesus is saying here is that you cannot find satisfaction in food alone. You cannot find satisfaction in drink alone. You cannot find satisfaction in relationships alone. You can find satisfaction in Christ alone. Only in the bread of life. Notice there what he says. He does not say, I am a bread of life. No, there's the definite article, the, in there. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that he exclusively, exclusively satisfies. There is no counterfeit. There is nothing else. Jesus is the original. Jesus is the only. Jesus is the exclusive bread of life. And this ought to involve everything about his people. You and I have no other Savior. You and I have no other Messiah. And we must not act like we do. It is easy for us as earthbound people to lift up other Messiahs. To seek other options for salvation. But Jesus says, you shall have no other gods before me. I am the only bread of life. And this is a struggle for you and I. Because you and I, you and I have difficulties and we think, if only I can do this, if only I can handle this, and we often lift up ourselves as a personal Messiah, a personal Savior. Or we look to our relationships, our friends and our families, and we say, they can save me, they can do it. For a church our size, it is tempting for us to look out and to say, if only we do this and that, we can increase the attendance of our church. If only, if, only we, if only we readjust things here and readjust things there, we can grow our church. And certainly it is true. It isn't hard to grow a crowd in America. We see it every week. It's easy to grow a crowd. But the question is, when you grow that crowd, what are you satisfying them with? And what we see here is that the only appropriate thing to give people who are hungry is the living bread of life. We would say it would be cruel, cruel and unusual punishment to look at someone hungry and to give them rotten food. We would say it would be cruel to give them an empty plate with crumbs. And yet Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And if you and I confess that we have known Jesus and we have feasted at his table and we eat his bread and we know him to be the bread of life because he has fully satisfied us, it would be cruel and unusual punishment for us to offer an unbelieving world crumbs, to offer them some other food that does not satisfy. 
No, Christ is the one who satisfied us. And so in turn, we offer Christ to all. Not not, not any other counterfeit. Only Christ. Only Christ satisfies. He satisfies hunger. He quenches thirst. This is the bread of life. He says, whoever comes to me, whoever comes, let the one come who is thirsty. Isaiah 55 says, let him come, let him come without gold and let him eat without pay. Anywhere, anyway, whoever would come. It doesn't matter if they have a lot of money. It doesn't matter if they don't have anything. Let them come and let them eat and be satisfied. John reiterates it in the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, let all come and thirst. Whoever thirsts, let him come. Whoever hungers, let him come. And Jesus says this again. Whoever would come, they will be satisfied. Often you hear, well, maybe I tried that Christianity thing. I tried it and it didn't work. Here's the problem. Christianity is not tried and found wanting. It's tried and found hard and then quit. Jesus does satisfy. When we come to him and we orient our life around him, and everything that we say and think and do is around the satisfaction that only Jesus can bring, we find that he does satisfy. That Jesus makes promises that he can keep. Jesus satisfies. But notice what else. What other unique qualification does Jesus have? Verse 35 tells us that Jesus uniquely alone satisfies hunger and quenches thirst. Verses 36 through 38 show us that Jesus alone does the will of God. Verse 36, Jesus says, But I say to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. My son is a notorious notorious picky eater he gets it from his mama and it's a struggle for me because i eat anything and everything i have not met a plate of food that i don't like yet and my son doesn't want to try it if he tries it he likes it usually but he doesn't want to try it and i did something mean to him once i had made a chocolate cake with chocolate icing and I said, Knox, do you want this cake? He was probably a little over a year. And he said, no, I don't want it. It's yucky. And I said, Knox, this is a chocolate cake with chocolate icing. And he said, I don't want it. It's yucky. And so you know what I did as a good father? I held him down and stuck chocolate cake in his mouth. <laughs> and he was just screaming and moving around. And I said, mouth just got a little bit in his mouth and he said I didn't have to convince him to take a second bite he saw that it was good but what do you do what do you do when someone sees something and they see that it is good but they just won't take it here what Jesus says is Jesus says you do not believe you have seen that I am the bread of life but you do not believe how do you explain that how, what's the, why is that the struggle that when we see something good, we, we, we don't try it? I often see this as a pastor. I set forth Jesus week after week after week, and Jesus is worth it. Jesus is the only Messiah, the best Messiah, the one to be satisfied. And yet, week after week after week, I see people not trust Jesus. 
not live their lives that week to Jesus's glory. And what's worse, I find my own heart not loving Jesus week after week after week, not trusting in Jesus week after week after week. And yet I know him to be beautiful and I know him to satisfy. And yet I seek satisfaction in other places. So what do we do about it? And Jesus continues on. He tells us, I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. In verse 37, he says this, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus tells us that the mission that he is doing is to accomplish God's will. And not only that, but he does God's will perfectly. That Jesus accomplishes God's will 100% perfectly. That he keeps God's will. He is the only one who does so. And so if this is the case, if Jesus is obedient, we see in Scripture that that obedience that Jesus has earned for us can be substituted on our behalf. That when you and I don't desire Jesus, we don't desire God, we can trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the perfect obedience of Jesus. There was never one second in Jesus' life that he did not desire God properly. And so because of that, when we trust in him, that desiring of God that we ought to do is accounted to us. That righteousness that Jesus earned is accounted to us, is put into our account so that it reads in our account that we have perfectly trusted in Jesus, that we have perfectly loved God. Notice what Jesus says here. He says, I come to do the will of my Father in heaven. And he says this in verse 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus makes two promises here. Two promises that make him the perfect Messiah. The first promise is that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Let me tell you something about the future of the church of Jesus Christ. It is solid and secure. There is no doubt in my mind that the entire church of Christ will be saved. Now that means that there are people who are not yet in the fold, people who have not yet believed. And yet what Jesus is saying here is that all that the Father has given me will come to me. What that means for you and I is that all we must do is lift up Jesus. Lift up Jesus and all the Father has given to Jesus will come, will believe, will feast. We don't have to worry about dressing Jesus up and making him look more desirable. We don't have to worry about selling Jesus, making sure that our sales pitch is just perfect. No, all we must do is present Jesus because Jesus has promised that every single person that the Father has given to him will come. Will come. He makes a second promise. This promise is whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What makes Jesus a unique Messiah is not only was he perfect in obedience in his own personal life, but that he came to do the will of God. And it's the will of God that he saves sinners like you and me. 
And not just saves them a little bit, but saves them to the uttermost. Jesus promised, whoever comes to him, he will not kick out. He will not turn away. No, instead Jesus says, if you come to me, I will keep you secure. I will hold you fast. I will not let you fall. I have paid for your sins and I will not give you up to them. I will hold you. I will keep you. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus alone follows the will of God. And it is the will of God to save sinners like you and me. Third, Jesus alone can fully save all that come to him in repentance and in faith. Jesus alone can save all that come. He continues on in verse 39. He tells us this. He says, I came to do the will of God. So what is the will of God? He explains it in 39. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now look what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is making the same statement in two different ways from two different points of view. And the first one, he is, he is talking about the point of view from God's sovereignty. God's mysterious election and choice is what he's talking about. All that the Father has given to me, every single person the Father has given to me, I will raise up in the last day. That's the first view. And then he says the very same thing from the human perspective of it. None of us know the decisions of God made before we were born. But we do know this. He says, all who believe on me, I will raise up in the last day. What Jesus is saying is the same thing from the divine sovereignty of God and the human responsibility of man. He tells us here, all who come to me, all who come to me. Why have they come? They have come because the Father has given them to me. But those who believe on me, that is, the, that, is the, that is the decision that you and I make. We decide to believe in Jesus and to come to him. We do that because he loved us and set his love upon us. And when we do that, when we, when we fall in repentance and faith upon Jesus, he raises us up in the last day. Now, what's that emphasis on the last day? That, that literally means at the end of time. What Jesus is promising here is not just to secure us in the moment. Have you ever said in fixing something, well, that'll do for now. That'll do for now. You've rigged something up and you say, well, this isn't perfect. This won't last, but that will do for now. Jesus doesn't just save for now. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, all right, well, they're going to be good for now. Now, who knows what's going to happen in two years? Who knows what's going to happen in five years? Who knows what's going to happen in 10 years? No. Jesus saves to the uttermost. Just as when he fed the 5,000 and he told his disciples, go forth, pick up the, the baskets so that none would perish. Jesus is telling the crowd here that his desire is that none would perish. And if you come to him, he will resurrect you in the last day. He will save you to the uttermost. Jesus saves. He alone can save. So the question is, what is our part in this? What are we called to do? 
We who are hungry, we who are thirsting, what, what are we called to do? The first thing that we are called to do is we are called, in verse 40, to look upon the Son. Look upon the Son and believe in Him. To believe in Him. Can I tell you something? It's easy to believe. Nobody in here, nobody in here can say that they are, they are the worst of the worst, right? We see on the news the worst of the worst. Those are the ones that we see. And, and it's easy for us to think that we are not them. Thank God we're not them. And it's easy for us to feel a pride in the fact that we are not them. And so it's easy for us to think that we're stronger than we are. It's easy for us to say, well, I'm strong, and so I don't succumb to the allures of alcoholism. I'm strong, and so I don't, I don't succumb to the allures of, of lust, and I don't, I don't succumb to the, to the, to the lures of, of drugs or whatever else, whatever great capital S sin you want to talk about. I don't, I don't succumb to those because I'm strong. But here's the message of the Bible. No one in here is strong. We're saved. And what that means is that we were weak enough to admit our weakness and trust in Jesus. To believe in him. To believe in Jesus means that we are believing that we are not strong. And that left to ourselves, every device that comes across, we would indulge in and be empty and hollow. That if God removed his hand from any one of us, we would shipwreck our life in seconds. What it means to believe in Jesus is we believe him to be strong enough to change us. We believe him to be strong enough to hear our prayers and to resurrect us. We believe him to be strong enough to hold together our families. We believe him strong enough to hold together our lives. We believe him strong enough to hold together the church. And we believe him strong enough to even resurrect the entire world. We believe him strong enough to save the life of our neighbor, our children, our grandchildren. We believe him strong enough. Not in our strength, no. No, not me. No, I am a sinner. And God has given me grace. Believe in him. The first thing we are called to do by this passage is to confess our weaknesses. Notice what he says. All who hunger will be satisfied. In order to come to Jesus, you must admit your hunger, your thirst. Jesus did not come to save saints. Those who believe that they are saints, those who believe that they are perfect, those who believe they are full, those who believe that they are satisfied without him. Jesus cannot save you. But when you admit your weakness, when you admit your hunger, when you admit your thirst, when you admit your sins, when you come to Jesus in repentance, that's when he saves. And so the question is, have you admitted your sins, your need for a Savior? Have you trusted in Him? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, the song that we still sing today, at the end of his life, he said, I have lived a long life, and at the end I am certain of two things. One, I am a great sinner. But two, I have a great <coughs> sinner that meets my needs. This morning, do you know yourself to be a great sinner? A great sinner. 
every one of us in here, from the least to the, to the greatest, is a great sinner in absolute need of God's grace. Do you know that to be you? And have you looked upon the Son and believed in Him? By doing so, you can be sure to be raised on the last day. But this isn't the only call of this passage to us. Many of us in here, we have, we have trusted in Jesus. We have settled our account with him. And yet this passage reminds us that settling our account with Jesus is not a one-time thing, but that we are assured by Scripture to continue to follow him, to continue to thirst after him, to continue to hunger after him. In other words, if you live in the palace now because you have been adopted by the king, you don't go forging for food in the streets. You don't go looking for food in the trash cans if you live in the palace now. And so if you are a believer, the call from this passage is that we would continue to feast on the king of life, the bread of life. We would come and we would eat of him daily, knowing that he is always enough. Don't go looking for anything else to satisfy. Only Christ can do it. And so we seek him morning and evening. We seek him Sunday morning, Sunday night, we seek him Monday morning, Monday night. We seek him all the week long. We feast upon Jesus. But last but not least, this passage reminds us that if we still need Jesus as believers, if we still need Jesus to satisfy us, how much more does our neighbor need Jesus? One of the things I love about living in the South is our instinctive desire to know the importance of food. We love food. We know that it is important. We know that whether someone has died or whether someone is new to the community or whether someone has a baby, what are we going to bring them? We're going to bring them food. And we're going to bring them food cooked with love because we love them. We are quick to share our abundance with our neighbor, our physical abundance. The question I want to ask you is, are you quick to share your spiritual abundance with your neighbor? When someone new moves into the community, are you quick to share Jesus with them? When someone has a new baby in the family, are you quick to share Jesus with them? When someone has a loss or a death in the family, are you quick to bring Jesus to them? The pie that you make, the bread that you bake, that hunger will be satisfied for, a, for an hour, for two hours, and then it will go away. But the Jesus that you share with your neighbor, the Jesus you share with your friends and your family, that Jesus will satisfy, not just till the end of our life, but that will satisfy in all eternity. Share Jesus. He can satisfy. Take in Jesus. He can satisfy. Believe in Jesus. He alone can satisfy. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us, as your people, help us to hunger after Jesus. Develop in us a ferocious hunger that cannot be satisfied with the world's goods. That we would come to you in your word. We would come to you in prayer. We would come to you in study. That we would be filled from the pantries that you have. And Father, we pray this morning for those who have not trusted in you. Father, we pray this morning that you would open their eyes and their hearts to see. 
Father, we know if they would just taste you, they would see that you are good. And so we pray, Father, that you would open their eyes, that they would taste of the bread of life, that they would be saved this morning. And Father, we pray that you would help us to share this bread of life with those that we come in contact this week, knowing that you are the only hope of salvation, the only satisfaction in our world today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.